Whether you've got your Bibles or your Acts journals, I would encourage you to turn to chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Uh, this is a long passage. We're going to go from 19 to 43 today. And so I'm not going to read every verse. I will do my best to, when I make a jump between verses, I'll do my best to let you know what verse I'm on to help you uh, follow along a little better. And in the interest of brevity, that's just the right way to do it. And despite my best efforts, after the last service, my good-humored assistant, as I stepped down, said, wow, that was a lot of words. And I tried to... Keep it short. I'm going to try to keep it short this time, but I love this passage. We get to talk about two different men that come from two very different walks of life, and we're going to be able to relate to them in ways large or small, and you're going to have to put yourself into this text, but it's one of those that just kind of the the movie begins to run in our minds because of the action that's happening here. We're going to talk about Saul. And we're going to talk about Peter, Saul, who's just beginning his life as a believer. Remember, we saw last time we studied this passage two weeks ago. Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to grab up all the people he could that were a part of the way, which is the name they had for people in the Christian church. And he was tasked with bringing them back to Jerusalem in chains to put them on trial. See, the religious leaders, they had tried to kill Jesus. They had, they had done it, but then he came back to life. And this whole thing that he started the way the Christian church, it wouldn't go away. And it was driving them crazy. So they sent Paul to put in, or Saul to put an end to it. But then he met Jesus. And we're going to talk about what happens with him today. But then we're also going to get to be reminded of another man named Peter. Peter's one of the original disciples. He's a guy that has a long history of faith in the New Testament. We've already, if you've read through the Gospels, we already know him well. He's the guy that's doubted. He's denied. He's walked on water. He's sunk in the water. Jesus reached out his hand and lifted him back up to the water. And finally, what Peter has realized is the only thing that he's got in his life that's worth anything at all It's his time with Jesus and the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. And so both of these guys are, we're going to see, are going to go out and start preaching the good news of Jesus, but they do it in very different ways. We left off with Saul, who had just lost his sight, had his sight renewed. He was baptized, and he's staying with disciples in Damascus. And so if you go to the second half of verse 19, uh, verse 19b, they say in Bible stuff, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. That is an entire sermon right there. I was talking to somebody between services and they said, you know, I've never heard anybody actually preach about that. But that's where it all happened, didn't it? Those little words, what happened in that little description changed the history of the Christian church. For some days, Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. It was in that stay that Saul understood what it was to be a Christian. He understood what it was to be a faithful believer because he himself calls himself a Jew among Jews. He was a Pharisee that trained under Gamaliel, who was, who was the leading teacher of the law. It wasn't that Saul wasn't smart. It wasn't that he wasn't well-educated. It was that he was a brand-new Christian. And those words, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, that's where he got the fast-track education on what it was to be a Christian. Saul was aware of who Jesus was. He was out hunting down his followers. Now, 
Those disciples helped him get to know Jesus in a personal way himself. And so those little words, we could let it just slip by and not mean anything to us. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. I would love to have been there and heard the conversation. I would love to have learned how Saul, the teacher, the one who was the tyrant for Christians, suddenly became the student. And he put himself at the feet of these disciples and he learned what it really meant to be a follower of Jesus. In verse 20, and immediately, as soon as he was done with the disciples, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he's the Son of God. The synagogues are the places that sent him out to capture the Christians. And now he's going back to his own people, the Jewish people, and saying, this Jesus, he really is the Son of God. He's the real deal. They knew that he was out to capture Christians and now he's going back to their own houses of worship, saying he is the Son of God. And it says in verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? What they're doing is going, what's going on? We thought he was on our side. And now he's making a case for Jesus. And this is one of the greatest examples in all of history of something you hear me say around here an awful lot. It's a great example of who you have been does not determine who you can become in Jesus. Your history does not define your future. Jesus does if you let him. And I know there's people that they want to argue with me about that all the time. You know what? My response usually is, how are your New Year's resolutions going? You set out to make a change in your life, and it falls apart by February 1st. Jesus doesn't want to change your life. He wants to make you a new creation. Who you are before you meet Jesus, who you have been, does not determine who you can become in Jesus. Saul is an example of that. If you're here this morning, you're going, you know what? I don't really like what I've done with my life to this point. I've made some mistakes, and I'm not so happy. You know what? You're in the right place because you're about to hear about the one guy who can change it. Jesus. You can make all the decisions you want. But Jesus is the one who allows you to become who you were created to be. What you've done with your life until this moment doesn't matter nearly as much as what you do from this moment forward. That's true for all of us, whether we've been walking with Jesus our whole life or not. Because we can always become closer. Peter thought he had it all figured out. Jesus, you know what? If it's, a, if it's in your will, let me walk in the water with you. Jesus said, fine, Peter, come on out. Until Peter realized, I can't walk in the water. And he started to sink. He needed Jesus to lift him back out. We need Jesus to turn us into what we were really created to be, or else we just simply become the things uh, that are the result of our decisions. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He's going to his own people. They know his history. They know his education. They know his intelligence. They know his pedigree and his upbringing. The strength that he's working on now is not his own strength of his resume. He's working on the strength of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life. And here's what's exciting. That same Holy Spirit is alive and at work in the world today. And the Bible tells us that when we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, when we're baptized, when we begin to, to trust in him for our salvation, not in our own good deeds, the Holy Spirit is given to us as well. And God gives you and I the Holy Spirit to carry out the unique call that he has put on your life and on my life. Just like what's happening with Saul. 
Verse 23, many days had passed. The Jews plotted to kill him. His own people decided it was time to shut him down. He's not doing the job, so let's take care of him. These are good religious people, church-going folks who are trying to destroy Saul. They think they're doing the right thing by wanting to kill him. These are church-going people. This isn't a mob off the street. Saul is preaching the truth, and he's living it, and it's making people mad. And so it goes on, and it says that they helped Saul escape. The Holy Spirit helped him escape, and he goes back to Jerusalem. But he goes back such a changed man that the people there don't even recognize him. Verse 26, when he'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Of course he did, because those were the people who thought like he did now. He wasn't going back to the synagogue to be a part of the the lunch with the Pharisees. He's going back to be a part of the disciples. They're now his life group. They're the people who understand and think like him. They're the ones that are going to help him grow in this new faith of his. He goes back to become a part of the disciples, and they're all afraid of him. For they didn't believe that he was a disciple. He shows up and they go, no way. We know who you are. You're going to kill us. You just want to be friendly so you can put us in chains and and bring us back. No. They knew who he had been. They knew who he had been, but they didn't understand who he was. You've heard me say around here a lot, and I've I've had to act on this. And so I really do mean it. You've heard me say that we're going to welcome anyone at the open door. Because we know that that God can start working on you at any time, at any point, and it isn't up to us to decide when that's happened. And so we're not going to tolerate rumors and gossip and negative conversations about what you might think about someone or what you might have heard about someone. What we're going to do is trust that God is at work in people's lives, whether we happen to have had that experience or not. Imagine if the disciples would have kept Saul out. What if they would have been the church that said to him, we don't believe you. You're a bad guy. you got a bad history. Go find somebody else to help you grow as a Christian. And yet the reality is Christian churches do that to people all the time. They experience a change. They become a new creation in Jesus. And they want to get around other believers. And other believers, because of their past, send them packing. We're not going to be one of those churches, folks. Verse 27, but Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how... On the road, he had seen the Lord. He had spoken to him and how at Damascus, he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. All it takes is one person to trust in Jesus and to to give somebody a chance. One person. Barnabas was that person. And you never know when that one person might be the one God chooses to change the world. It could be you. Or it could be the person who you say, I know your past. You're never going to get beyond. You're never going to be anything more than you are. Well, you know what? In Jesus, that just isn't true. We have no idea who we can become in Jesus. Verse 32, now as Peter went here and there among them all, so we're going to set aside Saul for a moment, and we're going to pick up Peter. As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Peter did not heal Aeneas. Aeneas was healed when Peter spoke to him. The one that healed Aeneas was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the healer. And and there's a point that we've got to make sure that we get clear here, because the Christian church has confused this for years. You and I don't heal people, just like you and I don't save people. 
Jesus does the healing. Jesus does the saving. We're the ones that get to tell people the good news of Jesus. And I've heard so often about this person, that person. You know, they're a great healer. They're a, you know what? Jesus is the healer. We need to be clear about that. Jesus does the healing and the saving. We're going to go forward a little bit to verse 36. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, a disciple who is a woman. This is a big change here. No longer all the, all the disciples men. We're moving into the, where the Holy Spirit is moving around the world now, and we're calling even women disciples. A disciple named Tabitha, which means Dorcas or gazelle in her language. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She was a good lady. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. That was their tradition. That was what they did when someone passed, was they washed them and they put them in a room so people could come and pay respects. And all the widows stood beside, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. They were making sure that Peter understood who Tabitha had been. They were making sure that Peter understood who this woman was. She was more than the dead woman laying on the table. She was their friend. She was a woman who had been a part of the community. She was a good person. They were using these things that, that she had made and these, these bits of her history to give context to her life. They wanted to give meaning and significance to her life. We do the very same thing at funerals and memorial services we talk about people and about who they were. We bring things from their life that help folks that maybe didn't know them as well put context to this person that we're there to honor. We do the very same thing. But Peter handles it very differently. See, Peter wasn't looking at Tabitha's past the way his, her friends were. Peter had a very, very different focus. Peter was looking at Tabitha's future through the hope in Jesus. See, Peter had been down this road with Jesus. Peter knew where the real power was. And, and you know what? The power wasn't in death because it wasn't always final. And it's a good lesson for you and I that it's okay to look back on our past, but it's far more important to look forward at the hope that we have in Jesus. Verse 40, Peter put them all outside, so he's in the room by himself. He knelt down and he prayed, and turning to the body of Tabitha, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Where do you think Peter figured out that motion? Go back to earlier in his life. He said, Jesus, if it's your will, call me to walk to you on the water. And he starts walking, and he realizes, I can't walk on the water. And he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand, and he lifts Peter up. What does Peter do to Tabitha? He gives her his hand, and he raised her up. It's very interesting to note because in the English we lose this. The Greek word here, it's one word for raised her up. And it's the exact same word that's used when Jesus was raised from the grave. Why is that important? Because the same power, it's the name of Jesus and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter wasn't the one that raised Jesus or they would have used a different word. It was the power of God at work in the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. It's the name of Jesus and the power of God through the Holy Spirit that raised Tabitha. And what's so awesome about that is that that same power is alive in you and I as believers in Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that raised Tabitha from the dead, is alive in you and I right now. You might be thinking, yeah, I don't feel that, preacher. I'm not feeling that. Do you know the separation that we have that, that Peter had just like we did, but Peter moved beyond was... Peter doubted himself. 
And that power of Jesus that he was walking, literally walking in the water on, went away the moment he started thinking about what he couldn't do. And you and I, the thing that separates us from this incredible power is our faith or our lack of faith and our doubt in ourselves. And yet that same power is alive in us. See, Peter didn't doubt in the power of the risen Christ. He had seen him at work walking on the water. He had seen what it meant when he walked out of the grave. He knows that the Holy Spirit was at work, and the Holy Spirit is still at work in our world today, the very same as he was on this day. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as people who have doubt and who say, you know what, I've been around the world, Pastor, I've been around the world, I've seen things, and that's not the way it works. You know, Jesus says something interesting in the New Testament. He says, have faith as little children. What does that mean? Does it mean we're supposed to be naive or uneducated? We're supposed to have faith as a little child. What does that mean? Go back to when you were a kid. Maybe your better example is when you had children. When something really important, one of those big things in life came up. It was one of those questions or concerns or situations, and you just you didn't know what you were going to do about it. Maybe it was as simple as a question as, is everything going to be okay? And you asked your parent, is everything going to be okay? Or your kid asked you, is everything going to be okay? And the answer is, of course it is. Just trust me. Because that's what parents do. We assure and we protect and we love our kids. And so as a kid, you didn't, you didn't run around doubting that. You didn't, you didn't try to change the situation or, or influence it or manipulate it or try to bring something else to bear. You just took mom or dad that said, yeah, everything's going to be okay. And you took them at their word and you trusted them. And that's just what Jesus is looking for us to do. To have that kind of trust that, that doesn't mean that we don't ask questions. It doesn't mean we don't wonder. It means that we trust in what we don't understand. That we trust in our Father who is in heaven. And all he asks is that we trust him the way we trust our parents as a kid. God, who will give us far more than they ever could have, just wants us to trust him as children the way as children we trusted our parents. And that's, that's the beginning of how it is that we work through that doubt. It's in faith. It's in trust. Verse 41, then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And so he called everybody in and he presented Tabitha alive and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. This miracle caused many people to say, well, how did this happen? And he preached about Jesus and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. If you're like me, you read that and you go, how come I can't do that stuff? I read that stuff in the Bible and man, I, I can barely figure out how to put a sermon together. I can't sing. I, I remember one of the first people that ever approached me about being a pastor at their church. I was still at seminary at the time. And he said, we, we followed you. We'd really like to hire you. And he says, do you play guitar and sing? And I said, uh-uh. Can you learn? I said, if you ask my wife, no way. And I realized I got no qualifications to be a pastor at all. But you know what? God, God doesn't limit us like that. The, the easiest thing to do is to look at the life of somebody else. I think, you know, God, if I could sing or play like these people, then I'd be a good pastor. But God didn't create me to do that stuff. It's so easy to look at the life of other people and go, whether it's friends or a, a, a preacher or somebody on TV or, or somebody from your church, you know, I want to be like them. Do you really? Do you really want to be like them? See, there's two things in this passage that we need to pay attention to, and it's really easy to skip over them. 
So we're going to take a moment, and before you say, well, I'd rather be like that person, the first thing is, the one that does the, the healing and the raising from dead is Peter the disciple, not Saul the convert. It's the disciple who knew Jesus well, who had had some time and faith and whose faith had grown that does the healing and the raising from the dead. The second thing is Paul begins to preach powerfully only after he spent time with the disciples. Only after he is led blind to the disciples house. Only after he spent that time, whatever they talked about, however long it was, whatever it was that they fast-tracked his knowledge of being a Christian and who he was in Jesus, after that, he began to speak powerfully. See, God immersed him in Christian community, learning about Jesus, learning about prayer, learning about what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus, learning who he was in Jesus. That had to come first. Saul didn't do anything until after that. And, and so the question I have to ask you is, what do you immerse yourself in? Because all of us, we, we, we've all got these 24 hours every single day. as like 176 hours a week we get, to, we get to decide what to do with. What do you immerse yourself in? Some people immerse ourselves in these little gadgets that occasionally we talk to people on, but usually we just kind of do this. We immerse ourselves in our phones. We immerse ourselves at work. We immerse ourselves in our kids' lives. We, we immerse ourselves in projects or maybe you got a man cave or a lady cave, whatever it is. You go and you hide TV and you, you just immerse yourself in, in something else to, to just kind of get away from all the rest of the world. What do you immerse yourself in? Maybe you immerse yourself in Sunday morning worship. Whatever you immerse yourself in, that's your priority. There's a good possibility that a lot of your money goes to that thing as well. What do you immerse yourself in? Because Saul knew, God knew for Saul that he had to immerse himself in a life with those disciples to understand what it was to be a Christian. Peter understood that it was him being immersed in three years of life with Jesus that he understood that it wasn't about him as Peter at all. Everything was about Jesus. So what do you immerse yourself in? Is Sunday morning the priority? Is church the thing that fits in when you aren't traveling or sleeping or hunting or fishing or running to kids' sports or doing whatever else you can do? Is Sunday morning a priority? Do you immerse yourself in God's Word? Is it, is it the things of God or is it the things of the world that really draw your attention and affection? What is it that really gets the best of you? Because it's a matter of setting up priorities and then living them out. See, God set the priorities for Saul in this time with the disciples. And then Saul spent the rest of his life living them out. What does your typical Sunday morning look like? That's what your priority is. Where does the bulk of your money go? That's what your priority is. I see people today who honestly want to live their life to make a difference for Jesus. I honestly believe that if if this is your church home and, and you come here... You hear challenging messages. These don't always make you feel good because the Bible doesn't always make us feel good. But there's always hope there. If this is your church home, I believe that part of what that means is that you truly want to grow in your faith and you want to live a life that gives glory to God and you're trying to figure out like the rest of us how to do it. You want to make a difference for Jesus. But you know, sometimes I see people who, they don't, they don't take the time 
to be discipled by anybody. They're not willing to take the time to grow as a student the way Saul did, to humble themselves as a disciple under mature Christians. They just run out going, okay, I got Jesus now. I'm going to start doing something great. I'm going to launch a ministry. or I'm going to do this thing or that thing. And they just go great guns after something. And after a while, it's like, why is nobody following me? Why is nobody listening? Why does nobody want to hear? How come I'm not healing anybody? Well, maybe we didn't get our priorities in the right order. Maybe it's because we didn't learn and we didn't, we didn't grow and we didn't start as a student. It's really a matter of, of Christian priorities. And so here it is. When we go out into the world, you can go out with all the best intentions. But, but here's a simple fact of life. You cannot share what you do not possess. You cannot share with someone else what you do not possess. If you go tell somebody, I absolutely love my church, but you go once every six weeks, that's a real hard case to make. I absolutely love Jesus, but I love the Bible. It's just the best book I've ever read, but you don't spend any time in it. You can't really share that with any integrity at all. We can't share what we don't possess. And as Christians, we need to take this lesson from Saul and from Peter, both of whom were humbled in their own ways as they grew in faith. It's part of the reason I'm such a fan of life groups. Life groups are really important because it's that intentional time that we put ourselves under, other, uh, under the authority and the teaching in the, in the company of other Christians, of other believers. Saul did that. God did it for him. Peter did it with the other disciples. Uh, life groups, I, I believe in them so much because it's a chance to make the decision and create the priority to walk through life with other believers growing in faith and friendships. And you're going to learn and you're going to grow and you're going to get things from other people and you're going to get questions you never thought of asking and then you're going to get the answers to them. And it's this time of of growing in faith that Saul went through, that Peter went through. But there's this temptation to think that my faith is stronger than it really is. And, And that can be dangerous. Because if we go to church once in a while and we really don't put a priority on reading in the Bible and, and we don't really know Jesus that well, when when we get to the point where our faith is tested, we don't have much to fall back on. And I see people getting disappointed, believing that God is ignoring them or letting them down or not listening to their prayers. Or, or maybe worst of all, that God isn't powerful enough to actually be able to do anything about it. But in reality, it's just... Maybe we've been focusing on the wrong things. That's why every single message, every single Sunday here, comes straight out of God's Word. Because you and I, we need to shape our thinking about God's Word as a foundational truth for our life. Because what God's Word said is God is powerful enough. There's no question about that. And God loves you so much that the same power that we read about in Acts, He's made available to you in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You want to talk about a superpower? You've got one. It's called the Holy Spirit. The question is, do we believe and trust God enough to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us? I just, uh, I just finished a paper on Friday for school. 50-page research paper. So I sit in my office and I'm thinking, this is three years of, of reading books and writing papers and then one huge year of writing a big paper. And I started doing some math. I looked up on my shelves and looked at my desk, and I looked at the floor beside my desk, and I'm probably underestimating this, but I think in the three years of coursework, I'm going to read about 25,000 pages on leadership. 
about 25,000 pages. I don't mean like grab the book and go, yep, that's a good one. I mean read through it enough to actually understand the content and to be able to go through and pull things out of it. About 25,000 pages learning from people who are better leaders than I am. My office is a mess of leadership books because I want to be a better leader. And I realized I'm going to spend 25,000 pages of reading invested in doing something that I'm expected to do around here every day. I'm expected to lead. And I realized, and, and I didn't understand this right away, that God was really, what God was really doing was humbling me and sending me back to school because I realized there's a lot for me to learn. 25,000 pages to get through. Why? Because I want to be the best pastor and the best leader that I can for God and for you and for this church. And I realize I can show up every day and do my best, but you know what? That's not going to be good enough. With God and the Holy Spirit and a better education, I can do even better for this amazing place. But the truth be told, the best book on leadership I've ever read is this one. Amen. 25,000 pages of awesome stuff. If you don't have a Bible, Pastor Patrick would love to send you home with one today. He'd even walk you through the beginning of it, how you can work your way through. See, the fact of the matter is, what I love about this education that I'm receiving is, there's nothing that happens in a paper that doesn't happen without a theological response to begin with. If it doesn't come out of the Bible, if it isn't rooted in Scripture, it isn't worth studying, it isn't worth writing about. Everything in life, as a Christian, goes back to the Bible. Saul of Tarsus, he, he, he was the worst of the worst. I, I don't care what you think you've done with your life. You have not been the person that Saul was. Saul was happy to murder Christians. He was happy to put them in chains for doing nothing but loving Jesus. Uh, he had been involved in the first murder of Stephen. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've made of your life to this point, it is in no way by any measure worse than the Saul that we meet in the Bible. And yet Saul was the Lord's chosen instrument to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. Imagine what he can do with you. Imagine what God can do with you if you're willing. See, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've been saved, if <laughs> you've been called, and then you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the lives of the people around you, not for you, not so that they can be impressed with you or how well you know the Bible or how much you've learned, but so that you can tell them about Jesus so that they can come to know him in a personal way. All of Paul's, Saul's education, all of Saul's education was worth nothing if he didn't realize the Messiah that he was reading about was Jesus. And when he met him, everything in his life changed. You might have some learning to do. You might realize that the Bible hasn't ever been a priority for you. Maybe you need to go home and dust it off. Maybe you need to talk to Pastor Patrick and get one. Start there. It's the best book I've ever read on any subject ever. It's fascinating. The stuff that's in there will blow your mind. And it's all about Jesus. And you accept the gift that God has given to you in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and accept the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and begin to live it out. Let people know what you believe. Because there's people you know, there's people out there right now that are waiting to hear about Jesus, waiting to hear that he loves them, waiting to hear that he cares about them too. And you might be the one that God has sent to their life in order to tell them. And it's a simple thing to do. You can do that. God wouldn't call you to something that he wasn't going to equip you for. And so he's already made you ready. You just have to be willing. God's got you. You just have to say yes. Let's pray.
God, thanks for this passage. Thanks for Saul and Peter. Thanks for the tough, the tough encouragement that this is. Because it isn't easy to go out there and tell people about who you are, especially if we think they're going to reject us or call us crazy. But God, that's all you ask us to do is to live a life that, that talks about who you are and who Jesus is and how much you love us. And God, in the end, it isn't people rejecting us. It's them rejecting you, and that's their choice. But we can tell them about you. So thank you for these passages. Thank you for these men who took time to learn and to grow. And then, and then they went out and they talked about Jesus for all they were worth. And it's because of them the world has changed. It's because of them that we're here today. God, thank you. We really do want to be people like that. Thank you for Jesus and what it is that he's done for us, that he's given us a message to share. In his name, amen.